man. I got to stop drinking soda, Tyler. Well, this isn't soda, Sam. What are you drinking? I am drinking Olipop. I have never heard of that in my entire life. You've never heard of Olipop? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Olipop is a new type of soda. Instead of unhealthy additives and hard-to-pronounce chemicals, each can is packed with 9 grams of fiber, just 35 calories, and between 2 to 5 grams of sugar. Olipop is formulated with a proprietary formula of plant-based prebiotics that are scientifically proven to bolster digestive health. You're joking. Not joking. You can save 15% on your order with using our code, which is HERDSODA, which is H-E-R-D-S-O-D-A, at drinkolipop.com. What are y'all waiting for? Click the link down below and save 15% on your order at drinkolipop.com. Welcome back to Happy hey. Good About Animals. Hey. Uh, What's up? River Morphology and Impacts to Animals Edition. Who da hada, what about in, uh, in, uh, in other words, rocks rock. How about that? Mm. Yes, they, they do. They do be rocking. Uh, and they you, roll sometimes, too. Did you know plateaus are the highest form of flattery? Ah. Uh... <laughs> and worry, that, is our, that is our special guest, uh, Ryan. He has a master's degree in geology. Whew. More power to you, because I minored in geology for approximately one semester before I realized I was terrible at it. <laughs> When you go to school for geology, they, you know, you think you spend a lot of time like outside and whatnot, and you can, but it's really just rock math. So you're just in a lab yeah. with a bunch of rocks. A lot of counting. Yep. <laughs> I heard of a dude that licked rocks to identify them. I have done that. Absolutely. Uh, that is no. You just no gotta long... do it sometimes. Well, it's the it's to identify the difference between silt and clay. Clay is smooth on the teeth. Silt is a little has a little abrasion to it. So. Uh, Everybody knows that, Tyler. <laughs> oh, yes, Les, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the reason why we picked this episode is um, I want people to understand that a lot of different types of science play into the factor of animals and how it will affect them in different ways because geology does affect animals in a lot of ways. And, of course, it affects them because of uh, just mining, fragging, or fra what is it, fragmenting? Fracking. Fracking. Fracking, sorry. Fracking. Yeah. Fracking. yeah. <laughs> All For types of stuff. Sake. So I don't give a frack. <laughs> We're going to let Ryan take the floor real quick and he'll explain uh, his intelligence behind it. Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Um, so uh, my name is Ryan. My background is in uh, glacial geomorphology, which is a really fancy way of saying rivers from glaciers. Um, I spent a few years on Mount Rainier uh, looking at glacial sediment and then a master's degree uh, doing 3D, uh, 3D modeling of glacial sediment deposits. So it's, it's an addiction. Crazy. You know? Yeah, rocks are really exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, to start off, I just, you know, to keep this an exciting, um, do you guys know what the longest river in the world is? No. Denial. Uh, it is a very close tie between the Nile and the Amazon, both around 4,000 miles long, depending on how you measure it, with the Nile being about 100 miles longer. That is, that is like, if you actually think about how long that is, that is crazy. The whole length of the United States. Plus a little extra. Yeah. And, well, for those if in Alaska, I apologize. It's, it's you know. Continental U.S. Yeah, yes, very much there so. There you go, there you go. Um. But going through, like, I, you know, when Tyler asked me to talk about something, um, just one of the biggest impacts to uh, biologic systems, ecosystems, is interacting with, you know, uh, supply and nutrient sources. 
Um, and I, I live in the Pacific Northwest up in Washington state. You know, we really like our river systems up here. And um, a lot of the impacts that we're measuring now are impacts to surface water and water systems related to salmon habitat. Um, so I just want to go through a couple items, on, you know, go through what a river system kind of does and some of the management techniques. And you know, there's a really good example I want to share on um, how uh, biology and geology intersect. Um, that is just one of the coolest examples I've ever heard of. Um, so rivers are their sediment movers. They start in high places, go to low places. Uh, along the way, they drag sediment uh, either on bed load where it kind of ravels on the bottom of the water and, or suspended load where if there's enough water velocity, the sediment moves in the river system. As the river keeps you know, moving down, down slope, downhill, um, it starts to meander as the lower velocity areas deposit sediment. And so that's why you get those big, nice swoopy rivers. Think, you know, the Mississippi River is, you know, it might go 100, uh, 100 miles in one from A to B, but it'll be three or 400 river miles. So they start meandering a lot. And uh, with that deposition of sediment, you get uh, oxbows where the, the river doubles back on itself. Um, so this, that like really dynamic environment has been utilized by humans and other uh, animals throughout uh, history. Uh, river systems are the most fertile areas. They're flat, they're great to work in. Um, they flood a lot, which is one of the negative components of that. But the positive is there's a lot of fertile ground for crops. So, you know, the um, one of the cradles of civilization, the Euphrates uh, River, the river Valley. Um, Mesopotamia. Yes, very much so. So those are two river valleys that sit close to each other. So these are really important for you know human civilization, let alone the, the biologic and ecological ecologic diversity of, of species. So eventually, you know, humans being the industrious people we are, uh, said we need to control those things. And so over over hundreds of years, we've invested a lot of time, energy, and effort in trying to minimize the impacts of these really powerful systems. So, you know, we've, we've bermed them up with levees over the years. So, you know, people can think of Hurricane Katrina where the levees burst. So instead of letting the river meander and deposit sediment and build up the area, we've actually, you know, uh, for instance, most of New Orleans is below river level. So it's really hard to, uh, if the levee does break, it's really hard to constrain the river back into its uh, uh, existing channel. So. It's pretty similar here in Sacramento too. Yes, Sacramento. You know, I live right next to a levee, and I'm not gonna lie. Some of these big storms we've been having, I'm like, oh my goodness, I might it's, get flooded out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty crazy how much infrastructure is involved in just keeping you know these built up areas safe from flooding. So, um, surrounding development for these, like you mentioned in Sacramento, um, it's just there's, there's huge impacts. People live there. There's a cost to rebuild. Um, but they just happen to be next to, you know, the, the, the Central Valley of California is arguably the most productive agricultural zone in the world. So you Absolutely. have to, you have to weigh these two things and how you, uh, how they impact each other. And so um, kind of river systems, in my, you know, in my uh, view are kind of a symbiotic relationship with the uh, ecological system around them. Um, so going through that, we do manage, so levees I mentioned, um, you know, we have a, between the Missouri and the Mississippi River, there's actually a gigantic system of uh, dams and levees to set, keep them separated. So once upon a time, you know, the Mississippi River, you know, meanders, it almost jumped into the Missouri Channel. And so New Orleans would have received almost no water, which is a crazy thought. Um, 
So they're really, even to this day, are extremely dynamic things. So, um, and one of the one of the coolest examples I've ever seen. Um, and hopefully, this isn't too long. One. I also have an, another quick uh, factoid for the group. Um, do you know what the highest discharge river in the world is? No. The highest dis. What does that mean? So, like the 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 rate of water leaving the the uh, river, uh, the highest discharge rate. So the volume of water leaving the river system. Give me a hint. What continent is it on? It is in South America. This should, that's a dead giveaway. Then it's the Amazon River. Correct. Um, hey, look at that, just, guys. <laughs> yeah, just to put it in perspective and how crazy of a, a size difference it is, um, it's uh, 84 Olympic swimming pools discharged into the Atlantic Ocean per second. Uh, and it is thir- t- 13 times the average outflow of the Mississippi River. That is so, pretty insane. Pools. 84 Olympic swimming pools per second. So, and where does all that water come from? Is it just like, is it glacier melt? Is it, is it com- rain? Com- combination of, uh, so the, the Andes mountains form the, like the, you know, mm. the Chile on the West coast of South America has a, the mountain range going along the spine of it. So a lot of the rain is captured on that and glacier glacier glaciers melting and discharging along with just a huge amount of re- precipitation within the Amazon basin. When it comes to like, uh, dams and stuff like when beavers create dams how much damage does that do to like rivers in general uh great segue uh in a natural system beavers are extremely uh beneficial for the environment so it slows water down uh capturing sediment so it reduces the amount of sediment buildup in the river system so it actually decreases the rate of meander so there are outside of humans, beavers are arguably the most impactful species to ecology in the world. It's it's amazing what they can do. All um, right. Looks like we got to put beavers on the list, Tyler. Yeah. Beavers are on the list already. <laughs> oh, good. So they're they're incredible movers. They they can do a crazy amount. I would of... like to say I had the pleasure of growing up like next to a drainage canal and I got to watch beavers make dams all the time. <laughs> and then be, be cleared otters, out by the beavers. maintenance, right? <laughs> No, no, they left it all. Oh, wow. So, we also got vanilla from beavers. Yeah, we'll hold off for the, the beaver episode. I don't want to want to, yeah, no tangents on beavers. Even though yeah. cool. <laughs> so beavers are a great segue though. So the example I want to give of how like symbiotic river systems are to biology is the Yellowstone River. Um, so this is getting to become a more popular story, but um, back in the mid 1800s, wolves were... Uh, removed from the Yellowstone National Park area, so yep. in northwest Wyoming area and surrounding. Um, so that removal of an apex predator allowed for larger herds of deer and elk. Um, and they, they're deer and elk are foragers. They like to eat small brush. Um, guess what? Those fertile river valleys are full of small brush, and so they were eating the willow and small small uh, plants on the edges of the riverbanks. Well, they were over-consuming, over-developing, so there were larger herds of deer which and, and elk, which is a negative feedback loop, means they eat more vegetation. Well, guess what? Erosion along the Yellowstone River was increased by a magnitude. Uh, meandering rates were increased substantially. Um, a really negative impact to the river system. There's too much sediment mo- moving through the river system, so that, that's, a, that's a, a decreased uh, quality of habitat for uh creatures in the river fish things like that um so and the outside river, the river technically 
Yes. And it makes it harder to manage. Absolutely. Our, our humans impact, you know, we have to manage the impact of the river uh, for roads, bridges, things like that. So it's a, it was a, it was a pretty uh, huge change. And honestly, it was really unintended, you know, back in the day. And even to this day, those decisions are not really well, well understood long-term. Um, but with the reintroduction of wolves into Yellowstone, they started culling the herds of uh, elk and deer which led to reduced consumption of the brush along the river. And so it actually reestablished the healthy river system for the, the Yellowstone River. And so like the, you know, the, for me, geology is kind of the framework. Biology is the, the, the doers on the ground, but it's, it's, it's really cool to see that, you know, without, um, without biology in, interjected into river systems, they can be really, uh, really low quality. You need both and of them. Detrimental. Yes, absolutely. So, man, I really thought we were going to be talking about like mountains and stuff. This was a turn. Yeah, I, like, I liked the, the other, turn, but I'm like, yeah. oh, we're going to talk about how the Appalachian Mountains, you know. Oh, it, all right. Another fun fact for you. So, uh, you know, Tennessee whiskey, Kentucky bourbon, uh, mm -hmm. these, it is the same mountain range that goes through Scotland. It's the Appalachians and the, the Scottish Highlands are the same. It's the same geology. Yeah. It's, it's the oldest mountain range, like on the planet. It's as old as it's, it was like from, there's literally parts, I believe of the Appalachians that they don't even have fossils because it literally was created before vertebrae. Yes. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. They're old. Those are some old mountains. Yes, they are. They existed yep. with Pangea guys. <laughs> um, uh, I have one more fact uh, about river systems that I find this uh, to be pretty intriguing. So how far out in the Atlantic Ocean can you get fresh water from the Amazon? I want to say like 100 miles. Okay. Tyler? I'm going to say 200 miles. It is 200 miles. Yes! So it's just, uh, it's it, don't get me wrong, it's still brackish water. It's got a little salt in it, but it is well below the... Yeah, cylinder. go drink that water, Tyler. <laughs> go drink that water that's 200 miles out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So but that's, uh, I mean, I'm trying to keep it down to, a, uh, you know, a digestible volume uh, or length here, but um, anything else you guys want to chat about or go through? Guys, right? rivers are freaking cool. That's what we're chatting about. Really dynamic. Uh, Let me check the time where we're at. There's also, uh, do you know the largest river in the world without a delta? Without no. a delta? Yes. I don't know what a delta that's is. That's hard because I feel like every river I can think of has a delta. The Columbia River. So there are two reasons. Oh. One is the the current along the uh, west coast is substantial enough to draw the sediment away from it, and then it also deposits it. Uh, there's a really substantial change in bathymetry. That's the to topography of the ocean. Um, so there's a big uh, vertical change that actually flows down into the uh, sea floor a lot quicker. So nutty. Yep. Now I'm going to get a lot of corrections here because you know actual, you know uh o oceanographers will have something to say about that i'm sure hey we've already yeah. <laughs> we've already disclosed on this podcast that me and tyler we are hobbyists we are not i mean we are scientists i do like we both have backgrounds but we're not we do very surface level yeah there's well, that's a the point of the episodes is just surface level information if people want to go on and get more they know where to go Mm -hmm. yeah uh there's so much information it's unreal out there about river systems right now um another cat uh, tangent on this is uh dam removal so it turns out damming rivers aren't very healthy so 
Uh, there's a big push right now to do dam removal. So the big one that was recently done was the Elwha River dam removal uh, on the Olympic Peninsula. So it was the largest dam removal in the United States. Uh, there might be a new one. I'm not sure on that yet, but in 2016, when it was completed, that's the, that was the largest in the, in the country. Uh, and literally they had salmon going up the river that day. My so, thought is wow. like, what would the landscape look like if we just didn't mitigate rivers at all? <laughs> at all ever what would our landscape look like today if we had just let them grow as they grow question it's so it's so it's been so managed through hundreds of years it's almost impossible to say i mean like there's a there's only a few un unimpacted river systems in washington and they're they're you know very very uh outlying you know i'm thinking like the nisqually for instance uh, that even has two dams on it, even though it's a you know fairly natural river system. So Dang. it's hard to say. Like, you know, on the East Coast, they used to have Atlantic salmon runs on the East Coast that were you know, you know world-leading salmon runs, but there's also some sixteen thousand dams on the rivers on the like New England area where the salmon runs occurred, and basically there's no Atlantic salmon runs anymore because of the dammed and managed river systems they have there. Everyone's like, why do we need salmon? You know, first of all, they're tasty. Like, don't get me wrong there, but like the ecosystem, uh, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, animals taste good. They you should eat them. Not all of them, and you should be responsible about it. Absolutely. But um don't eat but, a cat. Yeah, don't eat a cat. Uh, but salmon are one of the few things that go so they, they compile nutrients in the ocean and take them back upstream. And so generally speaking, river systems are one way. So salmon, one of their important aspects is they take nutrients back up into the river system because they go up lay eggs die you know allow uh you know nutrients to enter the system as they decay and so yeah it's, it's you know that symbiotic relationship yeah i feel like this uh, is the most quiet i've ever heard tyler on one of our episodes so thank I, you. yeah i feel I like i've just been monologuing yeah no i mean it's truthfully these episodes i've just been absorbing and learning a lot i mean i know surface level <laughs> things and little bits of things but like it's crazy to just see how interconnected everything is, mm -hmm. which I guess is the hear, whole I, point of gonna, the episode. <laughs> I want to add my favorite word in geology. And you guys, I want, I want to teach it to you guys because it's so much fun to say. All right. Um, it's a yakalope. A yakalope? So, yep. It's from, it, very similar. Those are juggalos. But a, a yakalope is a glacial outburst flood. Um, and so we, This is where like a, a ice dam breaks during a glacial glacial period and they still happen but we call them uh uh debris flows uh nowadays the scale has to be bigger for a glacial outburst flood um but yeah yakalo so that's that's the that's the word of the day we'll test you on that later Dang. yeah not related to the more you yeah. know yeah <laughs> um we are gonna wrap this episode up for everyone and we hope you enjoyed this special episode and my friend ryan um, I did, but I'm also a nerd, so. <laughs> I'm sure we will have Ryan on for more episodes here soon, so stick around for the next yeah. episode. Put, put questions in the comments. We'd love more rocks. We need more rocks in the world. We will link really some uh, geology-related websites in the bio, and you guys can go from there and learn some more, all right? Bye-bye, everybody. Have You Heard About Animals is an educational podcast where we teach the importance of animals and human relationships. Sam and I have worked hard to create something that everyone can enjoy. So with that, please leave us a five-star review 
a review, and what you think about the podcast. Have You Heard About Animals was created by Sam Splash and Tyler. All music is copyrighted by Have You Heard About Animals and Sam Splash Records. Artwork is copyrighted by Have You Heard About Animals and Sin Elric. Editing was done by Hugo.